This is Our People Podcast, telling the stories behind South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. Hello, thank you for joining us for this episode of our podcast. I'm Fiona Thompson, I'm a communications officer with the Trust and I'm joined by Philippa Poole, our Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Lead and Jake Higgin, our Inclusion Advisor. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Philippa, why don't you start us off by explaining a little bit about your role and how you came to be in the job? Yeah, so um, I joined the Trust in 2019 um, and I've worked in the NHS in PCTs and in CCGs um, and worked in the NHS in general over the last 14 years, um, mostly in communications and patient engagement roles, um, which is why I, I suppose it linked with the inclusion role. So I joined um, here and uh, the role of um, our inclusion team is for the benefit of our patients and our workforce. Um, so we try to make sure that the organisation is as inclusive as possible. What kind of tasks do you have at hand every day? Or is it, is it, is it a different thing every day uh, anyway? Different every day. So the... I suppose the the team could get involved in anything and everything, so we help support right policies, we have got our inclusion strategy, Um, we work with patients and um, often that have had to put in complaints to the trust, Um, so we try to make improvements if it's related to their um, protected characteristic or so say for example their, their disability or their age, whatever. Um, so we try and just make improvements as we go. We deliver board sessions, we deliver training. Jake's been in post now for just over a year yeah. and he's developed um, a suite of training and resources that are there to support managers and staff to, to make sure that we are promoting inclusive leadership. Well, we've touched a little bit about what you've already done so far, but Jake, how did you come into this role? What's your background? Um, probably quite unusual, really. So my career, I started as a teacher, so I taught English in secondary schools for about three years. Um, I loved it, but I've always been quite passionate about, it's always strange to say, not passionate about injustice, but passionate about Doing something about injustice, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and trying to make our society, I suppose, better. So I left teaching and went to work for Shoresum Record, who are an education charity, who work with schools, who work with businesses, who work with workplaces, to try and raise understanding of what racism is and, and try and make improvements within workplaces. But as good as that was, especially because it was a football charity and I love my football, um, I always found it quite frustrating because you would go, you'd work somewhere, they'd nod and they'd smile and say yes, but you walk out and then you never come back. So for me, it was all always about going somewhere where I could have that impact and, and see, change and see being things made. through. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And has teaching given you quite a good background to this role? <laughs> um, well, when I did my training, I think so, because to be honest, like, I think I love the sound of my own voice a little bit too much. I think that probably definitely comes from teaching. Um, you know, that but, thing where you stand up and you just talk yeah. and talk and talk. But, but presumably it gives you the confidence and background that you can stand up and do that, which is a really tough thing for some people, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. And obviously, when you're working with, with kids in secondary schools in particular, they're not shy about their opinions. So actually, I think it's quite useful in terms of having those open conversations with people. So not saying this is, so I know in our team, people quite often think, oh, it's inclusion, it's equality. They're going to come and they're going to tell us this is what to say. This is how to think. But actually, it's not about that. It's about having conversations and, and understanding where those ideas come from rather than just imposing a certain point of view or a certain idea. And encouraging the conversations, because in our role we often find that 
inclusive language changes very often um, and it's making sure that people feel comfortable to ask questions rather than stopping communication completely which has happened in the past so we just try and make sure that we are educational that we make it fun and that we don't that we well that we create a safe space so that people can ask any questions that they want to and um, so we try and do that in collaboration with um, patients that have got lived experience and we try and do it with staff through our staff networks as well to raise their voices. Excellent. Philip, I don't know whether you want to kind of give us a bit of an overview because when we talk about equality, diversity and inclusion, what do we really mean? What does that touch on and what does it mean for our patients and visitors first of all? Yeah, so it touches on everyone and everything I think. Um, so for particularly for our patients, we have got to make sure that as an organisation we are meeting patients' needs. So that could be um, if a patient has got communication or information needs, we would make sure that those needs are met. So if it was a patient that needed um, a translator or an interpreter, we would make sure that we provided that service. It could be through appointment letters that we needed to have um, done in audio. We'd make sure that we worked with our providers to get those done. We don't always get it right, which is why we work with patients to make the improvements to the organisation. Um, Jake's been working with the Bangladeshi community um, to try and develop some cultural awareness training, so that's a big aspect. Philip, would you just be able to give us a bit of an overview, because um, our area covers South Tyneside, Sunland, a little bit of Gateshead and Durham, so we've got quite diverse communities within those areas. Do you want to just give us a bit of a roundup of how many different communities we have within those? Yeah, I mean, it's probably difficult to say how many different, mm. diff- different communities we've got, but we've got... Um, I suppose our role co- covers, and I've mentioned the protected characteristics, so it's age, disability, race, um, gender reassignment, which would be trans non-binary people, uh, or who are people who are transitioning, um, so it covers so many different groups, there's, there's nine in total, um, that are covered under the Equality Act, so we would work with everyone and everyone, anyone and everyone really, um, so in terms of... Um, I suppose some of the groups that we work across, one of the great ones is HealthNet in South Tyneside because it's such a diverse group of people. It's not one protected group. It's it's many di- different groups that have come from the voluntary and community sector. And they're the people that are on the ground that are actually working with the people that we want to make improvements for in the Trust. So um, we work closely with our um, public health consultant and with our patient experience team to try and kind of join up so that it's not we're not silo work and we're, we're making improvements across the board um, so the the example of the cultural awareness training came out of a complaint but actually we've, we've done some real work with the communities and then we've been able to go and deliver sessions within the communities so it's it's a bit of give and take so that make, we make sure that we're, we're kind of broadening everybody's knowledge really um, and Jake, what does it involve when it comes to our colleagues? So we have very diverse communities within um, our patients and visitors, but we've got quite a diverse workforce as well. So what does it mean to our members of staff? Well, I think for me, it's about supporting staff. And this is such a buzzword, but I think it's such a good buzzword to be like their true authentic selves at work. So be exactly who they are and not have to hide that when they come to work. Because we know when staff feel supported, when staff feel that they are part of a team that, that celebrates who they are and recognises who they are, they will perform better, their patient care will be better, the inclusivity across the trust between everybody will be better. So I suppose there's a few ways we do that. So in some ways it's the trust and it's about things like our staff networks that we've got. So uh, we've got our BAME network, our LGBT plus network and our 
um, positive health network. Um, it's about things like our Dignity Respect to Work champions. It's about things um, like Thrive and Freedom to Speak Up and all of that. But I suppose it's also, I think, for us, it's about promoting the role that everybody has to play. So in terms of raising awareness of the barriers that colleagues might face on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, we might have some members of staff who have been racially abused five times on the way to work, just walking down the street, or, or for whatever reason have having real issues outside of the work and, and recognising the, the challenges that we all face. Um, and actually, how can we work towards that? How can we reduce some of those barriers just as individuals, not as, as people working for the trust and not in terms of people in our job roles, but just as individuals in the conversations we have. But then I think it's also about raising the awareness of what is and what isn't appropriate in the workplace. And, and actually, if we spot something that's inappropriate, how do we challenge? Because I think that's really difficult. I think, especially if it's someone you're really close with, if it's someone that's above you, if it's someone where the power dynamics are a little bit um, difficult, and actually, how do you challenge that person to say, do you know what, that, that wasn't acceptable? And how do you support the colleague who was the target of that? Because that's quite a task, isn't it? Trying to help other people to address that in their own workspace. Yeah, absolutely. And it's for me, if we, if we don't do that, then we're letting people down. So as for me as an individual, and I know there have been times in my life when I haven't done it. So I know there's been times in my life where I've seen something that I know deep down wasn't right but I've been scared, I've not had the tools, I've not known how to go and challenge it, so I've ignored it. But if we ignore it, we're sending, a, I suppose, a very clear message to that colleague that it was fine with us, actually, it wasn't important enough for us to challenge, so actually, how's that going to make that colleague feel? So we've developed, it's part of our training, but we've got it as, as a resource as well for staff, something called a challenge toolkit. So it's just five, maybe six, maybe four, but between four and six, four and six different ways um, but you could challenge an incident like that dependent on what was done, what was said, what were the power dynamics and where was it. And hopefully we want people to get away from this idea that if you're challenging someone, you're challenging them as an individual. Actually, it's just about challenging that behaviour. And actually, if we do it more often, it'll just become commonplace. And that's really helpful in all walks of life, really, isn't it? Not necessarily about whether it's a, a racist incident, for example. That's a real skill, isn't it? Absolutely, and it's not and it's not even just about applying it in the workplace. So um, the example I always give is I apply most of these to my eight-year-old granddad because he has some <laughs> problematic views. So most of them are tried and tested on him. And do we find, as part of your work, that it, it, it's not just stuck to generations, presumably? Do you see a particular pattern of behaviour in generations? Or is, it, is this something that, that really is across the board, regardless I, of I don't think it's generational. And I know that there are sort of generational aspects to it, definitely, but... I don't think it is that. I think it's about what you're exposed to growing up, where you're from, and actually your own experiences. We all have experiences that make us think in the way we think, and we can't help that. We can't help the way we think. But actually, again, it goes back to what Philip was saying at the start. It's about having those conversations to try and open up those experiences. Um, and how has your team established? Because I know you said that you've been in post since 2019. How has the work of the team developed, and how is it developing? So I think when first came into post, there was um, there was probably the basics in place, the, the things that we, we needed to do, but actually what we've done is tried to lift it and, and what, what we created was the inclusion strategy and that was three years ago. So we've got an opportunity to refresh that now. So we'll be asking staff for their opinions on what we should be including in um, the refresh. COVID's taught us many things. It's shone a light on inequalities. So we're working more 
um, and joining up health inequalities and tackling those with our inclusion work. Um, and it's just basically, it because patients are coming to the hospital much more after COVID, we're, we're seeing some of the things that maybe were pre-COVID come into light again that we need to start tackling. So whether that's around communication, whether it's promoting civility um, for our workforce, it's around how we create a culture of inclusion and that's really, really um, a huge piece of work. It's a long-term piece of work. It's not just something that we can say, right, we've got a strategy, we've done it, tick. It's absolutely not. It's about the way that we speak to each other, the way that we treat each other. It's about understanding our workforce. So we ask people and we ask our staff to um, put their equality um, monitoring questions on ESR. We don't do it because we're nosy and we just want to um, look at it. It's all anonymised and what we do is we use that data to understand our workforce so that we can make improvements. So whether that's around um, understanding how many staff that have got a long-term condition or a disability, that would then help us think about how we support um, staff to have reasonable adjustments in the workplace or whether it was um, how we support managers to, to support staff in, to stay in work. So there's there's... The role is vast, really, but I suppose what we'll be focusing on in the next 12 months is a refresh of the strategy, thinking about how we can tackle inequalities and making sure that our patients are receiving information and communication in the way that um, is appropriate for them. And you've already touched on something there, so we're always recruiting to our trust. HR are a really busy department, always bringing people uh, to work for us, very busy, and we're always looking to, to um, welcome people into the fold. So what do, does your team play quite an active part in in welcoming people to the trust and what do you do when newcomers yeah, reach so, their post? So we, um, last year we, there was a national pilot called um, Overhauling Recruitment and it was looking at how we can support recruitment managers and the recruitment teams to be much more inclusive and think about how we encourage diverse applicants. So even before we have them in post, how we go out and actually get people to think about joining our trust so we had a quick look and a review about what information we put out and it wasn't that great. We needed to be a bit more diverse so we're doing work around promoting all the different um, projects that we do. So we're part of Stonewall, we are a disability confident employer, we work with the armed forces. So it's it's raising the profile, we've got our staff networks which we didn't have before, we came, I came in post. It's trying to make sure that we sell ourselves to the, the broadest audience possible. Um, so it's there's, there's lots of work ongoing there. We're working with our recruitment team to think about how we can um, map the process for a trans person or trans individuals who may want to come into the trust to make sure that we are inclusive. We are looking at NHS jobs and thinking about how we can promote the gives and gets. So you come to this organisation, this is what we will give you, but these are the behaviours that we would expect back. So it's about promoting civility. It's about promoting inclusive leadership and it's about um, promoting good, positive communications, really. Excellent. And um, as part of that, we have the Dignity and Respect Champions now. We've talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, we launched that in the spring yeah, this year. Yeah. Um, and what does it involve and um, how do people sign up and what does it mean to our staff and to our patients? So we've got um, currently 11 Dignity and Respect Champions who um, volunteered for the roles and, and wrote some fantastic applications for the roles. Um, really amazing individuals, amazing staff members that have stepped forward to do this. And, and they basically provide 
a confidential, just a listening ear for anyone who's either been the target of bullying, harassment and discrimination, um, witnessed bullying, harassment and discrimination or been accused of it because it's all about understanding the processes, understanding the support and understanding the system, I suppose. Um, so for people who want to access um, the support available, they would send an anonymous email. Um, so we, we wouldn't keep any information, we wouldn't flag it to their line manager or HR that they'd done this. Um, they'd be assigned um, a champion who, dependent on their choice, would either be someone they would know and be within their team already because they might want to have that familiarity. But normally what we would do is we'd say it would be somebody who doesn't work in your directorate, doesn't work in your team, and that way, again, there's no conflict of interest there. And they'd just sit down and they'd talk about, actually, what is dignity and respect policy in, in, in our organisation? What does it say? What are the stages? How does one go about navigating through that? Um, also, what support is available? Because I think as a trust, we've got some amazing support available for staff. So we've got Thrive, we've got Freedom to Speak Up, we've got um, all the stuff that the chaplaincy offers, the staff network groups, there's absolutely loads. So again, it's about saying, okay, so as well as taking this action or not taking this action, whichever you see fit, actually this is some of the support you can access. And some of it will be trust provided, but some of it will be external as well. What what external organisations are there in the region and, and how can they link in? Um, but in terms of the champions then, because we'll, we'll you know, always probably be in need of, of recruiting um, more champions to the role. Um, so they were all given six weeks of, of training to support them doing this because we didn't want them to go in cold. We wanted them to be confident in the role. So um, they had training covering things like hate crime, um, some of the stuff we've talked about in terms of challenging, recognising um, poor behaviour, barriers um, in terms of inequality, but actually just civility in general, because this isn't something that is just for somebody um, who has a protected characteristic. This is for all of our staff. Um, and sometimes I think what, what is difficult and sometimes the most difficult to challenge is that behaviour that's maybe not obviously bullying, but it makes you feel like you're being bullied. But it's really difficult to pin down, it's really difficult to tangibly say, this is what they're doing and, and this is why it's making me feel that way. Um, so they were given um, training around those sort of issues, but they're also getting ongoing training and support. So we want people who, it is a voluntary role, so we want people to really get something for themselves as well. So um, constantly getting support in terms of um, additional training, additional input on all of this kind of stuff. And you mentioned Thrive there. So Thrive, for anybody outside the trust, it's how we would describe it, uh, mental health support. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the best way to term it? Yeah. Um, which is open to our staff. Yeah. And then also the Freedom to Speak Up, that's a national scheme, isn't it? Yeah, it's a national scheme and we've got local um, guardians and ambassadors and it's it's basically for anybody that feels that they need to raise something anonymously, they can do so through the Freedom to Speak Up work. Um, and it's just been Pride this year, so I know the team were really active as part of that. Do you want to go into a bit of detail about what, what you what you did to support and what we do as a, as a trust to support throughout the year? Yeah, so we, we celebrate a lot of, um, of the awareness days. We've got an inclusion calendar on the internet, um, and we can add dates to that. If anybody wanted to add anything, let us know. Um, Jake actually attended Pride this year. I was on holiday, so I don't know if you want to say a little bit. Yeah, so um, I went to Sunderland Pride, and it was amazing. It's the first... Pride event I've been to in Sunderland. Um, so we went, we had a stall, um, we took part in the parade, we had banners, you know, saying South Townside and Sunderland NHS Foundation uh, Trust support uh, Pride, and we just had loads of conversations with people. Um, but what we were really keen to do was was take something from it to try and make improvements. So 
everybody who came and we spoke to, we talked about how we can make our services uh, more inclusive. And it was just, I think it was a really powerful day, but we got, we ran out of pledge forms. So we got so much feedback. Um, eventually we had to pack up about an hour early and just go home because we'd, we'd run out of resources. Um, but that, I mean, we're doing loads, I don't know. Yeah. And all of it will contribute to the strategy. So we wanted the original EDI strategy to be a co-produced piece of work. And it was, we did uh, engagement with our community, with our patients and with our staff. And this is kind of the follow-up. So it's a refresh, it's not a full um, review, but actually all of the, the communications and the engagement that we get from um, local community, from our staff, will contribute to what we do. Because it's, I think the biggest thing that we would like to get across is that if we're going to be an inclusive organisation, it can't just be Jake and I's job. Mm. It has to be everybody's job. So um, everybody's got a responsibility. Um, and the more that we can do to raise the profile, so the more that we can go out to teams and do talks and do training, um, just get out there and share the resources that we've got, we, we will do. Um, we've celebrated loads of different awareness days, so things like Disability History Month, um, LGBT History Month, uh, we did Trans Day of Visibility where we had Reverend Sarah Jones come along and she was absolutely amazing. She shared her experiences of transitioning gender um, and her role within in the church and it was just so powerful. It was, it was, so we're hoping to maybe do more in the future with Sarah. Um, but we've just we've got opportunities to, to work with everyone and everyone, anyone, I can't say that, anyone and everyone. Um, it's just, it's a really diverse role, isn't it, Jake, really? And one of those awareness days was International Women's Day, and we used uh, this year to launch our menopause pledge. Yeah. So I don't know whether you can just give us a little bit of detail about what that, that means. Yeah, so we've been hearing and listening to staff over the last couple of years, and we know that this is um, a real concern for many staff. Our um, workforce is 80-20 split for males, uh, females to males. Um, so we know that we've got um, a number of staff that are, are going through the menopause or who have got relatives who are going through the menopause. So what we've done is we've delivered a pledge in March uh, to, to commit to resources and developing. Um, we're going to develop a policy, we're going to develop some guidance and then also look at what other resources we can put in place. We're listening to staff, we know that it's been a big topic on the staff Facebook group. Um, so it's just, just I suppose, it. it There'll be more work pending over the next couple of months when we when we just understand what we can put in place. And that's part of a conversation that's happening more widely across society as well. It's 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 in the public eye more than ever before, Absolutely. isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And that's great because it's probably something that had a bit of taboo around it as a subject. So the more that we can talk about things openly, the more that we can support um, our staff to, to stay in work and to stay healthy. And when we, we've done these, so regular, the Trans um, Visibility Day, what kind of feedback did we get from staff? On the back of that, was it? Do people get involved? Yeah, they do. Um, we probably need to think about how we can broaden our audience because it's it's probably the people that are really interested in inclusion that come to our training sessions. We deliver them, and object delivers most of them across um, our regional patch. So we we open our um, training up to colleagues from local authorities and trusts across the region. Um, but we really want our staff to engage more. So. We maybe need to think about how we can adapt and think about how we deliver the training, whether it's different times, different days, if it's evenings, uh, going out to community. Um, so we, we're looking at how we can further promote the work that we do, really. But overall, the training is absolutely um, 
fabulous self-safe Jake. Jake's designed it all really. But the training and Sarah, Reverend Sarah Jones' training got really good evaluation um, comments really, didn't it? It was just... But it's those other people you need to reach that might not normally come forward yeah, for those things. so if anybody's listening, if they would like to get into To sign up, yeah, church, absolutely. That would be great. Um, and we also offer our staff the chance to sign up to be um, LGBT. TQ plus allies. What does that mean in reality? What does it mean? Yes, yeah, so we've got our NHS Rainbow Badge pledges. So um, there's information on the internet. So if you signed up to a pledge as a member of staff, you would say why you think that you should be um, an ally or why you should promote inclusion within your role. And it's for everybody that works in the trust. Um, and it's basically an opportunity to show um, why you're inclusive, but also then receive. Um, a rainbow. You get a badge on the bag of it, and everybody loves a badge, it. don't they? They do. But actually, that badge isn't just a pretty badge. It's a it's a symbol of um, it's because it's it's the rainbow flag on the badge, and actually that's a symbol to it might be a, a patient or a member of the LBG, the LGBT plus community to to actually just have a visual um, symbol that shows and that you're on their side. That you're on their side. Yeah. That you're an ally. But also, it might help with a, a clinical diagnosis. They might disclose something to uh, one of our colleagues to, that might influence their um, their care in the trust. So, and that people are open to that conversation. Yeah, they are. And um, so we've we've got opportunities for for people that have, haven't signed the pledge to do that. They can do it online. It's just a really simple form. Uh, and then we promote them in the weekly staff bulletin as well, just to share some of the positive pledges and some of them are absolutely inspirational because we do set, share the pledges with our staff on our weekly newsletter don't we yes yeah um, yeah so we share them and um that helps raise the profile as well so the more that we can do with um allyship the better so we have people from a lot of different backgrounds and nationalities so could you give us a run through where people come from and what we do to help welcome them to us as a trust and what support they have available yeah so we've got um over 50 for um, nationalities when we were last looking at the data and they range from um, British people uh, to Spanish to Sri Lankan to Filipino to French to Iraqi to Irish so we've got a really um, broad range of, of, of people working across our organisation. Um, so we've got our lead nurse for overseas nursing and we've got our newly formed international medical graduates office and two international medical graduate tutors um, and what we just try and do is make sure that we've got a wraparound service from the inclusion team to support staff who are new to the area to make sure that um, people who whose ethnicity may not be British um, are supported because we know from our um, data that shows people who are black or Asian will tend to face um, discrimination whether in work or outside of work so as a as an organisation we've got um, work to do to support staff there. Presumably having a very diverse organisation makes us a much better organisation so does. does it make a better place to work that we've got all these different communities coming together? Yeah absolutely I think the more diversity we've got the, the better, more the different opinions we've got we can share things we can have constructive um i suppose discussions can't we we're just making sure if we all had the same opinion it would be a very boring place to work if we were all the same so the the value of diversity across our workforce is huge um and that's what we've got to try and kind of get everybody to understand that because um inclusion is often the i think you said it earlier jake it's a bit like the oh god the police are going to come in and tell us off 
it's not about that, it's about promoting and celebrating differences uh, and valuing, I suppose, individual contributions that people can make. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important. And what's next for the team? What are you looking to develop and what do you want to achieve next? Uh, so the big thing is the refresh of the strategy, so that'll be talking to people. And a lot of our role is around talking to people and communicating, uh, promoting good communication and communication in a way that's um, accessible. So that'll be a big piece of work. Um, we will be continuing to develop resources for staff and managers to make sure that they have got the, the tools that they need to, to work in the trust. And also then work with our patients because a big piece of work is around how we promote accessible information um, and, and think about how we can bring patients and do some more community engagement, um, maybe with a group or some sort of network of, of patients and community members. So that'll be the priorities over the next coming months. And what are you looking forward to getting done on your to-do list, Jake? Oh, so much. I'm just looking forward to tick starting to tick things off. So um, I'm really keen on giving more and more resources for staff um, and resources that staff can dip in and out of because there's nothing worse, and I know I'm, I'm guilty of creating resources like this, than going, right, okay, you need help with X, here's a 40-page document to read through. Actually, probably need 40 pages of information, but how do we give resources to staff where staff can just go to one page of that to get what they need and they can kind of ignore the rest because we know that the time probably isn't there to read through all of that. So yeah, we're looking at resources like Neurodiversity Toolkit. Um, we want to build on the back of some amazing work that some of our staff have done in terms of launching um, a religious um, toolkit as well to help clinical staff um, provide the best possible care for, for religious patients. Um, so just, just work, working through those, I think, as soon as we get one done, then we'll probably think of another one that we can make and just, just keep going through and, and building that bank of resources on the internet. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Really glad that you give us a bit of insight into your work and I know there'll be plenty more to come. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Our People podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and check out our other stories. Hit subscribe to keep up with the latest and catch up with what we've been up to on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for our name.